Hello and welcome to another Corin stream at a slightly different hour. Um, actually, you guys let me know in the comments or in the stream if this time works better for you. I picked um, the normal time I do it at 2 p.m. on Saturdays kind of arbitrarily. So this is also arbitrarily. But yes, uh, welcome to another Corin stream. I am Joe Magician and today we'll be talking about one of those moments in this show that I would say truly hurt to watch. And that is, of course, the sacrifice of the Winterfell stable boy Odor in Blood Rain's cave to allow Branamere to escape the attack of the White Walkers. It's more than just a tragic death of Hodor, though. It's also about how Hodor was created by Bran Stark in an accident. And uh, when it tells us about the nature of what Bran can and perhaps will do in A Song of Ice and Fire. This is also one of those three moments that George R. R. Martin related to Dan and Dave that they called in interviews the holy shit moments and something that George considers critical to the end of A Song of Ice and Fire. So today we'll be diving into the weird world of Bran Stark. Again, more Bran. <laughs> the broken life and tragic death of Hodor, and why exactly this means so much to the story. Um, you know, as per usual, if you guys would be so kind, absolutely slam that like button. Um, as is, um, yeah, 150 likes, got the old wizard hat sitting here on top of my fan. Got 175, got the uh, old turtle hat sitting over there. You would just be so kind as to do that for me. The uh, YouTube angry weirwood, like that under the black... The black gate essentially is very hungry for those things so you do me a favor slam the like button subscribe leave a comment um all the youtube things would really help me out and also uh if you feel like supporting the channel you can support me on patreon at patreon.com slash joe magician let me fix the angle why does this keep going up so much oh higher oh weird color balance uh patreon.com slash joe magician uh, the patrons themselves have the outline I'm about to talk about already. Also access to the access to the patron Slack, which is why Aaron was talking about my woes. I was venting earlier today in that, as well as posting adorable fluffy dogs. Two of my passions, complaining about things and fluffy dogs. Um, and also uh, super chats if you feel like donating. Um, any questions you ask on there, I'll make sure I'll get to. And I, also, I actually got one earlier from <laughs> Ramona Zamfir. It was very, very, very happy that um, <laughs> that this suits her schedule. So that's true. I, I stream at North times that are usually pretty shitty for um, people not in the Eastern uh, time zone. Yes, Jess. Yes, Jess. Uh, Britvik. Fluffy dogs. I was post I was posting Samoyeds and Alaskan Malamutes. I have a passion for fluffy dogs. Actually, if you go on Reddit to reddit.com slash r slash fluffy dogs, you will find that I am not just a moderator of A Song of Ice and Fire. I am a moderator of a board that does nothing but post pictures of adorable puppies. So I do love that one. Also, thank you, Ramona, for the uh, $10. Very, very generous. Appreciate it a lot. Game of Cones. First time I caught you live. Thanks for all the great streams. Hey, no problem. Glad. Um, Yeah, that's one of the advantages of accidentally doing it later today, later than I normally do it. A lot of people can catch these that uh, could not normally. Um, also, all of these are available on a podcast form. So if you go to um, the Wit and Wisdom of Joe Magician, you will find the audio only versions of these things that I put up for anyone to watch. So I mean to listen, don't really watch an audio only podcast. Um, but yeah, if you want to do all those things, I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for spending your Saturday evening with me after I spent the day working and oh, need, need a release as it were. <laughs> All right, so all of that is over and done with. Um, also, you guys may have noticed I'm growing a crappy beard, um, a very crappy beard. Uh, I'm doing an experiment where I'm seeing I've never actually let it grow out for any significant amount of time because it's usually so patchy and weird. 
So I'm going to be trying that over the next month or so. See what happens. I'll trim it down and all that stuff, but I just want to see if I actually can grow a beard at this point. I haven't been able to in the past. So sorry about the awful beard. That's just kind of how it goes. Uh, do I have a drink in my mug? No, I don't. Um, I have blue Powerade that I picked up on the way home from work in an orange cup. Actually, let me go get my mug. If I get my mug, I mean, I may grab it from behind the monitor. <laughs> oh, is it 420 sometime? I guess so. Yeah, so sorry about the uh, high res, terrible, not actually beard. That's how it goes. All right. Speaking of Duncan the Tall, he will come up during this stream. <clears throat> so I don't really have any quotes for this moment to read like I normally would to start the stream since hold, hold the door in Hodor is something that will happen in the future in the Winds of Winter, although it obviously already happened in the Throne show. And yes, will happen. So I thought I would read the full quote from Gurm that was related to James Hibbert in his recent book, Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon, about the death of Hodor. And that's kind of where we'll start. <clears throat> I'm not going to do the Gurm voice. I could, but it's just terrible. It's an obscenity to go into someone's mind. So Bran may be responsible for Hodor's simplicity due to going into his mind so powerfully that it rippled back through time. The explanation of Bran's powers, the whole question about time and causality, can we affect the past? Is time a river you only sail one way, or an ocean that can be infected whenever you drop into it? These are issues I want to explore in the book, but it's harder to explain in the show. No shit, George. <laughs> I thought they executed it very well, but there are going to be differences in the book. They did it very physical. Hold the door with Hodor's strength. In the book, Hodor has stolen one of the old swords from the crypt. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Bran has been working in the Hogar, Hodor and practicing with his body because Bran has been trained in swordplay. So telling Hodor to hold the door is more like hold this pass. Defend it when enemies are coming. And Hodor is fighting and killing them. A little different, but the same idea. More or less what George says a lot of the times when people ask him about things he told Dan and Dave where it's... It's not exact, but the message is the same. Oh, there will be Hodor quotes, don't you worry. They're just coming later. Um, but there's not one for hold the door. It's just Mira saying hold the door over and over again. And I don't really want to get copyright claimed by playing it. <laughs> so that's where we're starting with hold the door and the unfortunate young man that saw his death and can't stop saying his last words for the rest of his life. As we often do, let's go back to the beginning and talk about who Hodor is and the backstory for his character. So, shocker, Hodor's name is not Hodor. Um, but there's also kind of a discrepancy between the show and the books. Um, in the show, he's called Willis. In the books, he's called Waldor. Walder. Um, this is probably done by Dan and Dave in order to not confuse the audience. Um, you saw a similar thing where they changed um, Osha. No, they changed Asha. They changed her to Yara so that Osha and Asha wouldn't be confused by the audience. I'm guessing that's what happened here. There's already a prominent Walder in the show, Walder Frey, and they, I don't think they wanted to essentially confuse it. So Walder... We don't know his last name. He seems to be uh, lowborn, was supposedly born in Winterfell, and we don't really know much about him before the current story. Uh, as far as the Stark children are concerned, his name is just Hodor, and he's the saying his own name for all of his life. No one really understands it. They just sort of let him be, let him keep yelling Hodor when he's excited or whenever. Um, yes, Guilty Under Kid, there are many Walders in the books, and I'm going I'm to get to that in a little bit about that choice by George. We get a little bit more backstory from Old Nan when Bran is talking about 
why is Hodor saying his name? And she just kind of goes, <laughs> that's not his name. She informs Bran that his name is Walder. And also that Walder is old Nan's only living relative and his and her great grandson. At some point in his past, young Walder just started saying Hodor as far as anyone's concerned. And over time, that just be it's essentially a nickname. They just call him the, the word he keeps saying. Uh, that's also very similar to the show. We get a little backstory about old Nan and her family. Not too much. Uh, we learn that old Nan and presumably Hodor's parents and grandparents that they died during the Greyjoy Rebellion, that they were fighting underneath the Siege of Pike or something and got killed. When you look at Hodor and his massive size, you can probably understand why. These were probably also gigantic warriors, or at least just gigantic men who people assume are good warriors, so they would probably went to go seek adventure in the Iron Islands. Interesting that a certain a certain knight also considers going to the Iron Islands to fight when he meets up with a younger Blood Raven who encourages him to go seek out the Lannisters and go fight the pirates. But ha, huh, interesting, that connection there. But yeah, that's that's what happened to Hodor's um, extended family between him and old Nan. They either died of various regions. The only ones we really know about are those that died during the Greyjoy Rebellion. And that's kind of it. That's all we know about uh, Walder. But this does tell us very excitingly, very, very excitingly, that Old Nan had sex. Yeah. And probably with someone huge, someone gigantic, because Old Nan is not gigantic. She is a very small, shoveled woman, which kind of reminds you of um, the ghost of High Heart or like a child of the four. She's pretty small. Walder is not. Walder is almost seven feet tall. He has giant strength. Um, he's described Osho or yeah, Osho when she sees him essentially looks at his. This is one of those awkward Gurm moments where he she looks at his um his giant giant donger when he gets out of the Winterfell pond and goes, oh, he must have giant's blood. It's like you couldn't tell that before. That's that's the moment that everyone's like, whoa, he must have giant's blood <laughs> just by yeah, looking at his enormous pipe. Okay, I guess that's how that works. Um, so this is where that whole theory gets in. Yes, he is thick as a castle wall downstairs, according to Osha. And you, that is some characterization if I ever heard it. So there is a very peculiar vision that Bran has in the books only where he is flashing backwards in time. And one of the scenes he sees is a giant of a man in front of the Winifel heart tree, in front of the, the pond itself, making out with a uh, small slight woman. Now, given the timeline of the visions he sees and the fact that <laughs> um, it's assumed, well, we know that one of the stories coming from Duncan Egg is the She-Wolves of Winterfell and that Duncan Egg do travel to Winterfell at some point during their lives. Some have speculated that this is Young Nan, Young Nan, Y-U-N-G Nan. And the giant man she's making out with is actually the very, very lusty Duncan the Tall. And that this would make Hodor a descendant of Duncan the Tall, along with almost assuredly Bran at this point. Perhaps some of the other giant characters like um, Small Paul or Gren, maybe the Clegane brothers. It's assumed based on the well, based on the theory that um, Amanda or Crowfoot's daughter came up with and um, that I have embraced and love so much. The idea may be that Dunk pulled a Lucamore the Lusty and he essentially left tons of kids all over the Seven Kingdoms and Hodor may be a descendant in this way. Yes, young man had that WAP. 
<laughs> um, young man. The timeline does uh, work out. When Dunk would have been there, uh, old Nan would have been presumably in her like 20s or 30s or in that range. Um, it would have been somewhere around, I think it would have been about 70, 80 years before the current timeline, maybe 60, which would enough generations for a great grandson to pop out. Uh, the size matches, of course, Duncan is also almost seven feet tall. So is Brienne, uh, giant strength that Duncan is known for. And there's also a weird connection in the fact that Dunk is never actually like trained in combat. He's a street fighter. And that's one of the things that actually lets him win a lot of his duels, but makes him suck at like jousting and actual sword fighting that Dunk fights dirty, that he uses his size advantage that. He essentially just knows how to fight like somebody that was raised um, fighting in Flea Bottom. And there's sort of a similarity there to Hodor in that Hodor was never trained to fight, but his massive size makes him formidable, which is a thing they played up in the show. Oh, yeah. By the way, slam that like button, you guys slam it for young Nan getting that with her <laughs> with her wop and Duncan the tall just doing the nasty in front of the <laughs> tree. Which means all the green seers know how exactly how big Dunk's pipe is. And they know his um they know his sexual style. They know his moves. So bless you, Dunk. Bless you and your sex. <laughs> uh so it also works as a very good uh comparison with Bran and Hodor. And then you also have Duncan and Egg, aka Egg. I mean Egg aka Aegon. Wow, that was really stupid. So these are both uh, princes. These are both gigantic guardians that essentially ferry them around the Seven Kingdoms wherever they want to go. Um, these might be quote unquote king's guard of future kings. We know Aegon ended up on the Iron Throne. George has said through Dan and Dave that Bran will end up in a similar place. They're both not they're not portrayed as smart. Duncan is given a lot of street smarts, but not a lot of, you know, <laughs> not a lot of uh, book learning made it to Dunk. And there's a similar idea happening with Hodor where Bran and George actually through his quote considers Hodor a simple character. So the hyper intelligent prince becoming future king that is guarded by this gigantic, good natured sort of simple character. Those seem to work up really nicely. Yes, that's right, Ramon. <laughs> porn for weirwoods. If you had access to the weirwood trees and you're not watching porn, I don't believe you. I don't believe you that you would not do this. It would be creepy, but yes. Um, there's also a connection that I'll get to a little bit later that it's some people have theories that Dunk will also hold a door, a very important door in the future, maybe a red door as it were. Um, and this actually gets to one of the patron questions for, uh, Ramona, who's also in the chat. Uh, she wanted to know, uh, one of my, um, I think she's a Seneschal level patron. She wants to know, is old Nan Rohane Weber? Rohan? Rohane? Probably Rohane. And so why do people think this? Well, for one thing, um, <laughs> Rohane essentially disappears from history. After marrying, uh, one of the Lannisters, she just kind of disappears one day. There's a lot of speculation that the land, the, the Lord Lannister in charge, perhaps killed her and is just like a monstrous person. Rohane escaped, maybe made her way up north, perhaps founded, just made a new life up in the north, pretending to be someone else, just being an old woman or just a, um, just somebody uh, staying at court. 
which would make sense for why Dyke and Nan were hooking up. Perhaps this is his long lost love. Although Hodor does not have um, does not have that distinctive red hair of Lady Weber. Um, the timeline is fine, um, but she was a fairly distinctive person. But it does work in one small way. <laughs> Um, well, and that is the, his name. This is what we were talking about earlier. What the hell's going on with the choice of George to name Hodor Walder? Um, Guilty Undertaker was talking about this earlier. All the other Walders in the books are phrase or related to the phrase. Some of them are like, um, are, you know, are children through Frey women. So they're not technically Frey's like there's a, there's a Walder Brax and a few other characters like that, but they all have Frey blood. So why is Hodor being named Walder in the time of Walder Frey? This has led to some speculation that perhaps, um, maybe old Nan is a Frey herself, that she ran away from the twins, made her way up North, um, or somewhere along the line. So it doesn't have to be old Nan being a being a Frey, maybe it's one of the kids. Maybe one of her children married a Frey or her grandchildren married a Frey that led to Walder. The way the naming convention tends to work is it's usually the generation right afterwards, unless you're directly a Frey. So perhaps um, Hodor's grandmother or perhaps uh, perhaps Hodor's mother is a Frey or his grandmother's a Frey or something like that. And as a gift to the to the wife, maybe a bastard fray or something like that, they agreed to name their son Walder. It's it's a very, very strange naming pattern to break, though. George could have named Hodor anything. There's no reason for it to be Walder. So the fact that he's breaking that pattern and as established throughout the rest of the books that nobody or phrase have this name, that there may be a connection there. Um, I don't know how it would come out exactly. What would that be? So I talked about why this would work for um Lady Weber, it, it just establishes that Hodor is a character out of place, that his name does not fit in the North. <laughs> yeah, good points in the chat. Uh, if Walder was um, when your family member, wouldn't you run away as fast as you can? Absolutely. I have no problem believing that. Or perhaps if this is a line that comes from Duncan the Tall, maybe this is another bastard family thing where a lot of the, well, if you look at Dunk, you look at Luke and Where the Lusty, you look at the rest of the Strongs, they're known for having a lot of kids, kind of like the phrase. So it would be kind of interesting to figure, to to figure out when exactly this could cross and where it would come up. I don't know if George is going to do anything with it. And this is why I don't think he's going to do anything with it. It's actually that Hodor has interacted with Freys. In particular, Walder Freys. <laughs> so young, uh, little and big Walder showed up at Winterfell after the um, negotiating of the alliance between Rob Stark and Walder Frey. They showed up as wards. Bran hated them. And Hodor was there. They don't say anything about knowing who Hodor is. And they're usually not shy. And not only that, both of the Walders have like encyclopedic knowledge of their family tree. They know where everybody's gone. They've known, they know their exact spot in relation to each other in terms of inheritance. So if these two Walders knew who Hodor was, if they knew Walder was a member of their family, this would have been probably where George could have introduced it, but he doesn't. So I don't know if that's ever going to come up in any kind of way, um, especially since if we're judging by the throne show, Hodor does not have a lot of time left in his story and he probably won't interact with any of the, um, he probably won't make it past the wall again. So maybe it's just like a, one of those many seeds that George likes to plant and he just never did anything with it. Um, Pipeweed 
Reed says, given his likely role in the future, maybe hinting at being a Lord of the Crossing is holding the door. It could be there could be some sort of connections there, um, maybe thematic more than like, yeah, maybe there's more thematic ideas of holding the door, Lord of the Crossing, which the Walders play. Maybe something like that will come up, but it's kind of unclear. I don't think it's going to be the actual identity of him being a Frey in some way will be a plot point. But although there is an interesting note that the two Freys do love torturing and teasing Hodor. So if you want it to be more conspiratorial, maybe they do know and maybe they're messing with him because they know he's a Frey, but one they can mess with because he's not one of the quote unquote Freys. He's like a bastard Frey or something like that. So, you know, that's 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 a thing. Oh, it didn't it didn't show you we went live, Bernie. Um, yeah, had to change the time on this one. Um, I, I, th I think the larger point, though, is that George is telling us that Hodor is an out of place character. The name, the connections with old Nan, the mysterious backstory, the lack of a family tree. We don't even know the names of his parents or his grandparents. We just go Nan mystery, mystery, Walder. So perhaps that's a mystery he'll he'll um going in the future. But yeah, good question, Ramona. Um, also, uh, this was a question from Eric Forig from Patreon. He had a similar question. He wanted to know, can old Nan's allegiances be fully trusted if she is a fray? Um, <laughs> so if she is a fray, she is holding it very close to her chest. She had opportunities to interact with Freys and did not. Uh, she's not bringing it up or anything like that. So if she's a, like a Frey sleeper agent, she has been at it for decades. <laughs> like uh, Walder Frey said like a bastard sister or something far to the north when he was a kid, because that's how old Walder was when Dunk would have gone there. And like, stay there. We're going to go after the Starks in the future. I, I have a feeling about it. But, you know, make sure you integrate yourself, Nan. One day, Nan Frey, you will be the key to the north. Um, I don't know. I I think if George had expanded this Walder idea into more of a Frey identity for um for Hodor or Nan in any kind of way, or had it brought up by Big and Little Walder, I think that would be an interesting plot point. But I don't think that's really what's going on here. <laughs> Mod Mary says Waldor equals Walder. <gasps> more puns. Well, that's that's actually not bad analysis because Hodor is basically a pun name. So. Oh, hey, Amanda, we were just talking about you. I guess we can summon you to streams when we feel like it. I was talking about uh, Luca Moore, the Lusty and Duncan, the Tall connections to Hodor. Um, I know Hodor was one of the characters that you, I think, wrote about in that post that I found from years ago that you were embarrassed. I read that I brought up and that's why we did the um, we did those dual videos because I really liked it. I believe Hodor was on one was one of the characters you suspected. So I think there's a lot of evidence that um that dunk duncan the tall probably is hodor's um ancestor <laughs> so that's kind of all we got from his backstory so what is hodor's role in the story what is he doing so george in that quote called him kind of simple okay that's kind of a thing but when you look at um when you look at his job they don't have him doing a non-complicated boring job um they have him as a stable boy and that's that's in spite of the fact that he can only say one word hodor now stable boy is kind of a low prestige job but it's an important one and it's one you need knowledge to do because horses are very 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 important in the society and you can't trust horses with just a totally incapable stable boy that is a bad bad idea <laughs> so this is sort of telling you that the starks and those around winterfell are aware that hodor is not as dumb as he seems 
And you see that when you look at his interactions with Bran and um, and the rest of the Winterfell, um, the rest of the Starks and the rest of the courtiers at Winterfell, that he's able to understand what people are saying to him perfectly well. He has no problem understanding what people are saying. He understands complex instructions and he's able to do what he's told. That's something that a lot of characters cannot do. <laughs> like, for instance, um, a actual simple character, Aegon Jingle Bell Frey, hey, another Frey, is actually totally incapable. And so the Freys give him the job of a jester. Um, Odor is not the Winterfell jester. He is a stable boy. So there's something there that George is hinting that that Hodor is more than he seems and in particular more than Bran realizes <clears throat> that he that Hodor is capable of wanting things. He desires things. He has emotions. He has problem solving. Um, I was thinking about this while I was writing the, the outline and in my what I was thinking about is that I think a lot of a lot of characters and a lot of people think of Hodor more like uh, Jingle Bell, but I think he's actually quite a bit more like Illin Payne. He's just he's basically just a mute character, but he's intelligent. He just can't say anything. So I think that's the correct comparison here. Um, importantly, though, yes, <laughs> yes, Jess, taking care of horses is not a simple job. That's a hard job and you have to get it right. But it's usually given to um, to um, lowborns, but capable lowborns. They're not like telling him to go essentially like pound rocks together and sit in the corner. They, he has a real role and an important one in the family. But like I was saying, it's important that Bran doesn't think Hodor's intelligent. He thinks he's a moron. He sees him as silly. He sees him as childish, um, just kind of this like almost a clown kind of thing, which is kind of funny when you think about it. it's coming from Bran, who very much is super childish, but doesn't see himself that way. But when you think about Hodor's character, he's kind of excitable. He lacks impulse control, but I mean, like, that doesn't mean that you're a moron. That doesn't mean you're an idiot. Lots of people lack impulse control and get excited about simple things. That's not that's not a um, indictment of intelligence or anything like that. But Bran thinks it is. He puts Hodor more or less on the same level mentally as Summer, which foreshadowing for what he's going to do to Hodor. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Good question, Aaron. If Hodor can say more than Hodor in his own head. Well, he certainly can think and he can understand language. So um, I'm. I don't remember, I think, I remember reading once about what happens to somebody that loses the ability to hear after hearing language, and they still have an internal monologue, so, and we know there was a time when before Hodor became Hodor and he was Walder, so you have to assume that his brain's probably still working the same way, he just can't say anything else. But yeah, just think of him like, think of him like Illin Payne, it's the same kind of character. Um, yeah. This is also a lot of foreshadowing that Bran's conception of Hodor is pretty messed up and it's going to allow him to do things to Hodor that he would probably not think of doing to somebody else he sees as a real person. He doesn't see Hodor as a real person. He sees him as basically just like an ex like uh, like a clownish guardian sort of character. <clears throat> so after Bran's fall or pushing, I guess, just this phrase, um, his immense strength essentially makes um, makes Hodor Bran's constant guardian servant. You know, he picks him up because he's a parent. Bran's a very small boy. He repositions him. He essentially stays in his room. He's his job has changed from stable boy to just Bran's guy, his um, his butler, essentially. Yes. Thank you, Nessie. Smash the old like button. 
Um, before these interactions, before Hodor is essentially told you have to do whatever Bran says, um, there's not much indication they had much of a relationship. Um, Bran counts Hodor among his friends in the castle because Hodor is very friendly, um, especially to children, so he thinks nicely of him. But the, this wasn't like, it was like a natural thing where it was like, oh, of course, Bran and Hodor, they're best friends. Now that Bran needs somebody, we should assign Hodor. It's more like, Hodor's really strong. He can do this. We have other stable boys, therefore, go for it, Bran. You can have Hodor because nobody else wants him. <clears throat> uh, Guilty Undertaker's talking about Patchface. I was going to talk about him later. Is there any chance we see Hodor's thoughts in a Bran POV? We sort of do. Um, we do know how Bran interacts with um, with Hodor. He understands Hodor's emotions towards him while he's skin changing. Describes how he fights him. I really hate that quote. I really, really, really hate that quote, as I talked about in the Varamir stream. But it's from Brand's perspective, it's more he he sees his thoughts as more emotional than words. Um, <clears throat> in this relationship that's established in a Game of Thrones continues. Uh, Bran is often being dragged behind Hodor in a cart. He's carried very often. There's also, um, at one point they get a basket and they drop Bran in there. And I think that last one is particularly important, um, because the carrying on the back is a lot of foreshadowing to the relationship of skin changing that's yet to come. Um, because essentially Hodor does not mind Bran being on his back. They're, like the weight is nothing, but Bran's essentially in control. And that's kind of the relationship of the human skin changing as it develops. Bran is essentially riding on his back, telling him what to do. Um, almost like a horse, basically. Also, um, there's some weird moments. George talked about it in terms of what he's going to do in <clears throat> what he's going to do with Hodor in the Winds of Winter. I assume it's the Winds of Winter. It's probably going to be. <laughs> While you're hiding in the crypts, the Bran, Mira, Jojen, and Hodor, they, the th they grab three swords on their way out. So we know that Bran took Brandon's, Brandon Stark, his uncle's. Mira took Rickard Stark's sword, but Hodor, for some reason, <laughs> took a very, very old rusted sword from an unnamed king, one that Theon does not know the name of when he and Lady Dustin go down into the crypts. And you can sort of just sort of think of this in terms of like, well, Hodor just grabbed a sword. Maybe it probably just means nothing, right? Most likely. But you have to think about it in terms of the fact that Hodor is not just a simpleton that Bran thinks. We know he's intelligent. We know his life has been destroyed by magic and in particular Bran. Um, if you consider him in terms of characters like maybe Patchface or the Ghost of Highheart or the Undying of Karth, then maybe Hodor knows a lot more than he's letting on. Maybe in the show, it's kind of hinted at that he knows his future from his interactions with Bran. Um, a lot of George's characters who actually are connected to the magical world tend to say nonsense or things that just don't make sense, like in any sense of like in any sense until they do. And then all of a sudden it all clicks into place and you're like, holy shit, this wasn't you have to go back and like reread everything that this character said, much like Patchface, people have looked at his um, what he said and took it apart for prophecies. The Ghost of Highheart is the same way. Um, the Undying of Karth, Danny spends the rest of the books trying to figure out what the hell they were talking about. It will make sense at some point, just like not now. And so looking at Hodor through that lens, if we ever find out which king that Hodor took the sword of, that could be very, very interesting. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Uh, Laura7n says you should get a 30 minute warning, a beginning notification. It was it was a weird one. YouTube's whole um, streaming thing was messed up for the last two days. 
Um, sorry about that. Uh, you guys, there's going to be a lot of people having to watch it on, on um, replay. Also, I changed the time, so that's how it goes. Marla Matthew says, what if Hodor pulls a thistle and tries to boot Bran out at some point? I don't think that one's happening. There's a quote later I'm going to get to where Bran essentially says that Hodor does not fight him anymore, that he's essentially been, had, he essentially just accepts Bran at this point and cowers instead of fighting, which is horrific and sad. But yeah, th that's one, th that's a, uh, like a future gardening thing to really think about. The, his choice of sword, which Stark he took it from, why he took it. It's George has the ability with a character like Hodor, like he does with a lot of these other um, magically mentally affected characters to hide future foreshadowing in. And when, when it eventually comes to fruition, you can look back and be like, oh my God, that makes so much sense now. That's what he was doing. Um, there's quite a lot of Stark Kings. George went out of his way in the world of ice and fire to give us the backstory of quite a lot of them. Um, it'd be interesting which ones he chose, which he probably does know which Stark King it is. Um, so keep in mind any future Stark Kings that you get more, um, you get more backstory on that may be relevant into Hodor's future. <clears throat> All right. So let's go ahead now to the old human skin changing. Yay. My favorite topic that doesn't make me feel awful and horrible for Hodor and make me think that Bran's a monster and I, I don't know what George is doing with him, but it's probably not good. And that is the fact that <laughs> Bran has committed the, the abomination with Hodor. Uh, as I talked about during my Varimir stream a few months back, Varimir's prologue is a companion to Bran's chapters in A Sword of, in a Storm of Swords in A Dance with Dragons, where what he's doing and what he's considering doing mirrors Bran almost exactly, but there's a key difference. Varimir was raised by Hagen in order to understand right from wrong within the skin changer community and what to do with his powers. Now, Varimir chooses to do all the abominations himself. He chooses to break all the rules, very much like Euron does when he kills his brother. And he's like, I went out and I waited for the drowned god to punish me and nothing happened. Varamir's kind of doing the same thing. When you look at Bran, he has committed almost all of the abominations so far. So there's Jojen paste, um, the theory that he has eaten Jojen when he eats the Weirwood paste. We know he ate Night Watch, Night's Watch Ranger when Cold Hands fed it to him. So, and also when he's in summer, Summer, ha we've seen Summer eat human flesh. So Bran is, he has nailed cannibalism. He's there. He's gotten that abomination right out. <laughs> uh, don't have multiple animals. Another one of the abominations. Bran not only has Summer, but he has acquired Hodor and made him, so he's Bran two skins. He's also uh, skin changed into ravens. So you could kind of maybe call him Bran three skins if you felt like it. Not four skins. Not yet. Uh, Varamir foreskins. Um, he has not done the third abomination, which is to mate as an animal. It's really unclear why George included that one. I don't really understand it. I've had theories about it. Other people have theories. It's kind of a big question mark as to why, <laughs> why George included that. He could have just left that one out. It hasn't come up, but sure, whatever. Um, and the last one is no human skin changing. You should never claim the body of another human. And Bran has done that. Um, he has made Hodor into his second animal. He has completely dominated him. He rides in Hodor's body at will and forces him out of his own body. Uh, this is the quote I was talking about earlier. <clears throat> the big stable boy no longer fought him as he did the first time. Not okay at that sentence. Back in the lake tower during the storm, like a dog who has had all the fight whipped out of him, 
Hodor would curl up and hide whenever Bran reached out for him. His hiding place was somewhere deep within him, a pit where even Bran could not touch him. <laughs> no one wants to hurt you, Hodor, he said silently to the child man whose flesh he'd taken. I just want to be strong again for a while. I'll give it back the way I always do. Think about that sentence. Think about what Bran is saying. Think about, look, think back to Varamir and Thistle. And what did Thistle do when Varamir tried to take his body? She bit out her own tongue and clawed her face off rather than let Varamir have her body for even a second. And Bran has essentially skipped past that part. Like, no big deal. Whatever. I've got Hodor. I'm just going to soothe him while I essentially, well, there's no other way to say it, while he mind rapes him and takes his body. Which goes back to George's quote from the beginning that you're not, you, the relationship between Bran and Hodor is a terrifying one. If this happened to you, George thinks you should, people would rather kill themselves than let it happen. And Bran is essentially broken Hodor, like he's just some other animal, which gets even more complicated when you think back to what I was talking about earlier, that it seems like Hodor is not quote unquote simple in the sense that like weak minded in the Star Wars way, he seemingly has a, in a rich internal mind. He has the ability to interact with the world and understand instructions and do an important job as a stable boy. It's just he can't speak. But Bran made him his, um, essentially made him his his pet anyway. And that's really horrifying for where he's going in the future. <laughs> um, Jay Moray, clearly Summer hooks up with Nymeria. Oh, God. Oh, what if that happens while Arya and Bran are both skin changing because George loves incest? Yay! <laughs> Oh God, why did I say that? I shouldn't have done that. Um, and this is this gets to a really big point about what's going on with Bran and his powers, and in particular, Bloodraven. So, Hagon made sure that whether or not Varamir would follow them, he understood there were rules to what he was doing. Bloodraven is not teaching Bran a damn thing about what he should or should not do. The only warnings he's really gotten are that he can't affect the past, which we know he can, and that he should not stay too long in summer from Jojen, not from Bloodraven, because he will eventually lose himself and merge with summer. Uh, yeah, that's all he's got. He doesn't know what he's doing with with Hodor is wrong. He doesn't know. Well, he has some idea that the cannibalism is wrong, but he's kind of essentially suppressed that memory. He like doesn't think about it too much. Uh, Guilty Undertaker says, does Bloodraven know the rules? He has to. There's no way he doesn't. He's with the children of the forest. <laughs> he's beyond the wall. He probably knows who Varamir Sixkins is. He probably knows who Hagon is. Um, he may have met Hagon in his life as a Night's Watch Ranger. So Bloodraven knows, but he's specifically not teaching Bran how to limit himself and what right and wrong are. Those are huge problems for him as a character. And it may lead us towards like, what is Bran going to do? Maybe some really, really horrifying things. And that's even with the fact that he's doing this to Hodor. Um, this is something we were talking about in the patron slack the other day. We were talking about Ender's Game. This is a major part of um, the story of Ender's Game or by Orson Scott Card and the whole series. And that is, and by the way, George and Orson Scott Card are colleagues. They've worked together in the past. Um, I don't like Orson Scott Card, but I would suspect that George has read Ender's Game. And a major part of Ender's Game is that, spoilers for that book if you haven't read it by now, a major um, part of it is that the adults take these genius children with amazing abilities and train them as soldiers and convince them what they're doing is just a game. And by doing that, they convince the children to essentially commit a xenocide against an alien race. So 
With that plot point in mind, I don't think it's really that hard to see the connection between what Bloodraven was doing to Bran and what Hiram Graf and the rest of the humans and Ender's game were doing to Ender and along with his colleagues. It seems like George may be playing the same, um, the same plot out. That Bloodraven is preparing Bran to do really, really horrific things that he knows is wrong, but needs to be done. That he can't, that he can't or won't do himself, but maybe Bran can. For instance, as far as we know, Bloodraven has never human skin changed. Bran may be a unique talent in the world. <clears throat> Yeah, the rest of Ender's Game gets really weird. The rest of the series, when you talk about like Children of the Mind and Xenocide and all the books about Bean, but that that main that main component is very very important. That these children, despite being geniuses and super powerful, are being manipulated into doing things that they don't understand. Child soldiers, yes, exactly. <clears throat> so I am. <laughs> It's hard not to read this and not think that that's what's going on. So now we get to we're an hour in. Uh, let's see, 120 people watching. Thank you guys so much. I, I know this is an unusual time. YouTube messed it up. Really appreciate and um, all the things. Appreciate you guys hanging out with me tonight. We'll be going until about nine o'clock, so another hour or so. Um, to have time for questions and all that stuff because I don't actually have that long of a document today. Um, oh, <laughs> hope I can go back to my normal stream time, Amy. Uh, I do like my normal stream time and I especially like the pictures I get on Twitter. Oh. Aaron sent me a PayPal question. Hang on a second. Uh, by the way, my phone is messed the hell up at the moment. Um, it just shut down earlier for no good reason. I don't really know why. Um, hang on a second. I'm trying to see the message. I think maybe I have to pull this up on um on a on a web page because like Aaron, could you just post the question here and I'll answer. Uh, but but by the way, thank you very much for the uh, twenty dollars. Very very generous. Um, let me see if I can open up my PayPal account. I mean, also, Super Chat, if you guys feel like it. I don't really care which one you guys want to use. If you like seeing your name up on the thing, go for it. Um, let's log into this real fast. Maybe I can see it. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a me problem. I don't think it's a you problem. Uh, let me check the activity. You guys can't see this, right? Okay, good. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, just type it out. I'll figure it out later. Sorry about this. I, I shouldn't be doing this on stream. Um, so hold the door. As many of you probably know at this point, Hold the door is what Hodor is actually saying. And this was guessed in a hilarious way many years ago by a fan who was talking to George R. R. Martin. Uh, it's from the blog ventriloquest.com and it was from April 20th, 2014. A420. Smoke weed, right? Ah, smoke weed every day. Um, so <laughs> the blog post goes Game of Thrones. Actually, I'll just skip down to it. So it says, I met George R. R. Martin at a convention last fall where we were both guest authors. Well, him more than me. Links his, uh, links his works. I previously met him 10 years ago at another convention before the Game of Thrones TV show we never spoke at the time. As it turned out, Martin's room was right down the hall from mine and we kept ending up in the elevator together. He knew I wasn't stalking him because most of those times I was in the elevator before him. The first time, there were some other fans on the elevator who asked for a picture with him and he obliged. They got off on our floor, so before our floor, so it was just us. We walked out and headed on the hall and the conversation went like this. Martin, I do get tired of posing for pictures all the time. Me, well, you're quite famous now. Martin, I wasn't unknown before. Me, true, among us, but you were never a guest on Cone before. Martin, true. Around the third time we were on the elevator, he pushed the button for our floor, and then he asked what floors they needed, and then after everyone left, he turned to me and said, I always wanted to be an elevator operator. If the writing thing hadn't worked out, we both laughed and went to our rooms. The final time we ended up together, the conversation went like this. I finally figured out why you have a character named Hodor. Martin said, 
Oh, he said, I was thinking about your comment and wanting to be an elevator operator. It's clear to me that Hodor is short for hold the door. Martin laughs in his giggle that he has. You don't know how close to the truth you are. So someone accidentally, well, not really accidentally, just kind of like as an offhand joke, correctly pegged the reason what what Hodor's name for its name for the phrase hold the door. I always love those little things where it's like people put so much effort into figuring out theories and breaking down names. Like I've seen theories that Hodor's name is actually like a reference to Hodir, the um, the Norse god or something like that. Or if you break it down, maybe he's maybe he knows maybe Hodor is the name of the great other. And it's like it's not. It's it's just hold the door essentially uh, smushed down into one word. Sometimes, guys, a cigar is just a cigar. Um, oh, Aaron posted her thing. Uh, Thanks for streaming tonight, even though you wouldn't normally. You're welcome, you guys. I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether it's much of an ob- abomination to do what Arya mostly does and use the eyes of another creature versus stealing their will and actually letting them, using them to actually act in ways they wouldn't normally. Um, So, I think it has to do with the intent. So, Vermeer, in particular, really enjoys the fact that he dominates these animals. He enjoys that they fight him. He enjoys that they hate him, which makes sense because Vermeer is a rapist in real life and in his uh, skin-changing ability. Um, He... That's this whole thing about where he's Varamir six skins. It's because he keeps six animals on retainer rather than having one and then essentially borrowing others at for some amount of time. I think Arya's abomination is less horrific than Brand's. Um, because when Brand does it, he describes it in terms of, yes, it's practical, he just wants to walk again, but he kind of does it out of a desire to <sighs> what's the right way to say this? When Arya is using her multiple eyes basically to spy on things, he uses she uses them temporarily, then lets them go. Bran's not letting Hodor go. He's not letting Summer go. He he's collecting them and using them almost like um like robotic bodies that he acts through. And I think that's a very big difference in terms of I guess the level of abomination and the morality. Although you're you're absolutely not wrong that Arya does commit some of the abominations herself. Um the multiple skin changing, she does do that. She skin chats, she skin changes into cats when she's in Bravos. She still skin changes uh, Nymeria while she's across the narrow sea. Um, she may do more. It's very possible. She may, maybe she'll uh, skin change into some of the other animals. It's actually possible that it's through Arya that we see that weird third abomination about um, sex with an animal. Since Nymeria, um, she's with a wolf pack, so presumably at some point she might have sex with the other animals. Maybe Arya sees it happen. <clears throat> so yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's my um, complicated answer to that. I think it really has, I think it makes a big difference why the person is doing it and how long they intend to keep the body. Bran wants to keep them forever. He he will give Hodor back his body when he's done, but he's not letting him leave. He's He wants to keep him permanently and much in the same way that Varamir does. Although Varamir's motivations are much creepier. Is that that's what I'm getting at? Is the abomination to warg them or to keep them? I say the keep part. Like for instance, when Varamir takes Orel's eagle, part of the reason he does that is because he didn't like Orel. So he takes his eagle and enjoys the fact that he hates it. That's a very different motivation than Arya taking a cat just to see something and then essentially letting it go. Yeah. So, but those are lessons Bran's not getting. Um, Arya, though, as a character, seems to understand that she should not be keeping like a herd of little animals following her around and she doesn't. So there may be something morally wrong with Bran as a character. Maybe he's just too young. 
or maybe there's something strange in his head that happened when um when he had his third eye opened or um as blood ray has been teaching him that something is different about him brand is losing quite a lot of his humanity um so yeah yeah i love uh, you guys are talking about anecdote it's a great anecdote i love that kind of stuff george is not always super complicated george is not always writing a conspiracy theory about something he, it's not like odor connects to 15 other things that all relate to his name being important in like some meta mythology world building way it's it's that thing it's hold the door <laughs> so then we get to the old throne show so let's just kind of go over what happened here because this has not happened in the books although george said it basically will in the same form um it will just be what he's going to have hodor do will be different so the situation is that bran has somehow broken the barrier around blood raven's gate by the way this is how you know that this stuff came from george not dan and dave this is super high fantasy weird bullshit and they hate that stuff so the fact that it's in the show and it's featured prominently tells you that they could not cut it when they would cut they cut a lot of other fantasy so everything about hold the door and what happens with Bran and Bloodraven and um, and Walder or Willis as they call him in the show probably will show up in the books and be probably more impactful because George loves that stuff more. He wants to make more of a fantasy story. So anyway, Bran somehow breaks the barrier around the Bloodraven's cave. It has to do with him being seen by the Night King while looking at a weirwood tree. It's not never explained what's going on. He just puts some kind of mark on his arm that lasts forever. I actually made a video wondering if that was like some kind of way that Bran would eventually be taken over no that, that was incorrect that was an incorrect video but a fun idea i still don't understand one part about it though like the skeletons outside of blood raven's cave they're there already um they are guarding the outside of the cave so nobody can get in so presumably that means they know blood raven's there or they just surround every weirwood i don't really know um yeah I, I don't i don't understand that whole night king thing i have to assume that came from george they would not include magical barriers unless they had to but anyway um so the others all the others show up outside the cave with their army with their entire army it looks like and they storm the cave um while this is happening bran is in the past and he's watching a particularly wholesome scene he is watching ned uh liana Brandon Stark and Benjen as kids and they are practicing in the yard just like he did as a kid. Um, Bran actually, Ned at this time looks like, um, actually no, Benjen looks the most like Bran at this point with the long hair and being taught by his older brothers how to, um, how to fight. And that's when we get young Hodor, um, portrayed of course by Sam Coleman. Uh, some of you guys may have met him at Con of Thrones. Um, very lovely guy. Uh, <laughs> got to... Got to meet him a few times. If you ever get a chance to meet Sam Coleman, take the opportunity. He's really uh, fun to hang out with and he's very, very smart and funny. Um, so yeah, young Hodor shows up and the show to put um, shows him as not only is he not a simpleton, he's actually quite well spoken. He has he seems quite clever. Um, he's a friend to the Starks as well. He has some kind of relationship with Lyanna. It may have been um it may have been played kind of as a crush by sam but it's also noted that the way he's speaking the way sam coleman is speaking sounds like samuel tartley <clears throat> um so dan and dave and you have to assume george through dan and dave in this moment are establishing that pre-hodor Willow slash Walder was just a normal guy he and actually may have been a very intelligent guy he was just gigantic <laughs> um uh, the quote that comes out of it is Ned says to old Nan when she comes up to essentially grab Hodor or Willis 
Okay, I'm just going to call him Walter the rest of the way because the show mixes it up. But okay, so old man comes up, grabs Walter by the ear and gets him out of there saying he'll never learn to fight. Um, Ned complains and he says, oh, Nan, look at the size of him. If you ever learned to fight, he'd be unstoppable. Wink, 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 wink from George on that one. Oh, thank you, Curtis Franks, for smashing the like button. I appreciate that. Um, and Brand kind of watches this bemused, going like, wait, Hodor wasn't always Hodor? What, what is what is going on? Why is he talking? Why is he interacting like a real person? That's not the Hodor I know. We flash back to the current timeline and Bran attempts to essentially talk to Walder and just goes like, he used to be able to talk. Like, what happened to you? And Hodor presume says Hodor as he always does. But there's kind of Christian Nairn plays it very melancholy. <clears throat> He kind of looks at Bran, he responds to him, he says his name, um, kind of like you see with um, Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy, where he's trying, he's putting intonations behind what he's saying and the way he's acting. So from this, you can probably surmise that Hodor or Walder is aware <laughs> what happens to him in the near future and is presumably um, despondent about it. He may have known his whole life ever since he met Bran that this was coming. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, so both of these scenes establish that Hodor is not the simpleton that Bran thinks he is. This will probably happen in the book. So it'll probably be a big reveal for Bran that he's not skin changing, essentially an empty vessel that before hold the door that this young man was a full and vibrant person that he destroyed. <clears throat> so then we get to the actual hold the door. What does this mean? <laughs> Um, yes, time travel shenanigans are going to happen. So the cave gets overrun by uh, Bloodraven and Bran are back in this timeline for some reason. Previously, Bloodraven had pulled Bran out, say it's time to go, but he allows Bran to go back. The attack is happening. <clears throat> the attack is happening and Mira is shouting, screaming for Bran to come back that he needs to control Hodor in order to save their lives. Um, Bran kind of hears her, but does it and kind of ignores her because he's watching this scene again. And there's a there's an insidious line that comes from Bloodraven where he can also hear Mira screaming. And what he tells Bran is to listen to his friend, which is essentially telling Bran while he's in the past watching young Hodor to skin change current Hodor and makes it happen. Afterwards, Bloodraven looks a little, well, the way uh, he's played, he always looks unhappy. He looks particularly unhappy after doing this. You can infer that Bloodraven is aware of Hodor, what was about to happen, and his comment he knows is going to create it. Oh, sorry about that. I should have muted. <clears throat> so Bran does what Bloodraven says. He skin changes back into Hodor while still in the past. It's unclear why he doesn't go back to the future. Um, it may be that Bloodraven essentially lured him there by using this memory that he really wanted to see so he wouldn't leave it. Um, you can, I, I think it's fairly clear what's going on in the show that you're supposed to understand that Bloodraven purposely made Hodor and made Bran do it without him realizing it. Um, but Bran doesn't. He goes back into Hodor's body and he starts dragging his body down the hall with Mira and Leaf. Um, the Night King penetrates the cave. Um, Summer dies. Night King walks up and kills Bud Raven while Bran is still in the past. He actually sees him die. He kind of like evaporates, sort of like a Dementor or something. Um, the Whites start chasing the trio. Light, this is another one of those weird sacrifice things. It's, they sort of, they did the thing where characters are running away and everyone turns around and does this like, 
big personal sacrifice that doesn't accomplish much. Like Summer jumps in, dies, doesn't do anything. Leaf has her weird children in the forest bomb. And instead of, you know, powering it up and tossing it behind her, she decides to essentially let the whites attack her and swarm her, hoping to blow up a bunch of them. Ends up being futile. She only slows them down for a few seconds. <clears throat> So they reach the end of the hallway and they find this really old door. Um, Bran this whole time is skin changing Hodor. He has not let him go. They did the eye thing. It's still happening. He punches essentially through the door. They close it behind him and Bran forces Hodor to hold the door while Mira grabs the sled and starts running. Um, Mira the entire time is screaming, hold the door, Hodor, hold the, hold the door, Hodor. Um, and what happens here is completely, completely bizarre. I don't understand it. I'm sure George will have an explanation for the wins winner. I don't think Dan and Dave understood it because they really don't explain it ever. Essentially what happens is somehow Bran, because he's skin changing Hodor in the future, and Walder in the past kind of creates a link between the two of them. And young Hodor, it's implied, is experiencing the death of his future self as Bran forces him to hold back the whites. Um, for some reason, this also causes young Hodor to go into a seizure and he collapses onto the ground and is screaming over and over again. The only words he can hear hold the door as his seizure gets worse. It eventually merges and slurs basically down into being Hodor. So every time Walder throughout the entire books, when he says Hodor, he's actually saying, hold the door. He's saying that to everybody. He's saying it to Bran every single time. It's all he can say. He's living his last moment of his future life the entire rest of the time. And that that's pretty heartbreaking. That's a pretty horrible thing to happen to a person. Um, <clears throat> there's also something that's not really explained in the episode, and that is that Hodor is refusing to help. The reason that Mira is yelling for Hodor is that um, he's essentially rocking back and forth and sitting in the corner. He's acting afraid, and it may be that uh, they didn't go into this. This may, it may be that the Hodor of the current timeline knows he's about to die, that he recognizes the scene from when he was a young boy and knows what's about to happen and is trying to essentially refuse to do it. But Bran forces him to. He picks up his body and forces him to die, being stabbed to death by whites holding a door that it doesn't seem like he wants to, that he's essentially made for this one purpose, that his whole life was created by Bloodraven through Bran in order to in order to make sure Bran survives this encounter. I think that realization of that Hodor understands what's about to happen and doesn't want to go through with it and is trying to actively fight it and is made to by Bran for self-preservation is it's horrifying. It's horrifying in the worst way. And it's one of those things that really makes me think that Bran becoming a, a monstrous character is something very much in the cards, that he would force him to do this. Like, actually, go back and watch it if you have time after this. Watch the scenes of Hodor before Bran takes over. He doesn't want to. He's terrified. I think, I th I think the only way to understand it is that he absolutely recognizes what's about to happen to him. And so, yeah, what what exactly did happen here? Um, as I said, I don't think the show really told us. George, um, George will probably explain it. Yeah, I think the reactions here are correct. Bernie, uh, Bernie in the chat saying I cried so hard at Hodor's death. Probably the only time I cried. Jay Moray, it's fucking terrifying. It absolutely is. 
what Bran does to Hodor is one of the worst things in the books and will probably be even worse when George tells it. It's It gets even worse when you understand that Hodor is aware of what's happening and that he doesn't want to, that he's known his entire life that it's leading up to this moment and there's nothing you can do about it because this psychic prince is going to force him to do it for self-preservation. Just the worst. Just the absolute fucking worst. Uh, so yeah, let's go to like what actually happened. What is going on here? So uh, it's established in the Tower of Joy scene and in the books when Bran calls out for Ned the Hartree that Bran actually can influence the past. When Bloodraven tells him the ink is dry, um, there's one explanation that like this means you can't affect the past. And that is not true. Bran can affect the past. He breaks Hodor's mind by connecting his future and past selves in the moment of his death. Ned does hear him at the Tower of Joy. He hears him underneath the heart tree. So, but one weird thing about it is that when he does it, almost nobody can see or hear him except Hodor. Young Walder sees Bran as he, as he connects the future and past. He turns around, Sam Coleman looks directly at um at Isaac, and you're supposed to understand that he has seen a random kid appear in the Winterfell, um, the Winterfell training yard. When we look at other examples of Bran traveling to the past, he does not see himself. He visits the Tower of Joy multiple times. He visits that scene at the training yard multiple times. He does not see himself. He does not see Bloodraven in the past when they visited it before. But Hodor can. Um, so what does this mean for us? This means but one important thing is that Bran does see the effects of what he did. He does see Ned turn and look to hear himself talking, but he doesn't hear it himself. So what this means is when Bran goes back in time and sees something, it may be a future first version of himself doing it. Um, all those moments where characters hear weird things on the on the leaves, when Bran sees weird things, it may be himself in the future signaling to himself, that kind of thing. But essentially what's establishing is that time travel in the Song of Ice and Fire is real. You can go back in time. You can affect things. But the Hodor reveal says something different. <laughs> so um, you guys may be aware of different forms of time travel theory. So there's kind of a multiple universes idea that comes out from Back to the Future, where essentially Doc draws the diagram saying when you went back and changed something, you created this other timeline. Um, but there's another version of it that's ca that's called essentially pretzel time travel, which means, OK, <laughs> it means you can go into the past and change things, but you're not actually changing anything because it's already happened. That the, the time travel that you're going to do in the future already happened. The effects already happened. In this way, Bran grows up knowing that Walder is Hodor and that he won't go and say his name. Essentially, his death to Hodor has already happened from Bran's perspective. Meaning, <laughs> I mean, let me try and let me try and explain this. That as far as Bran is concerned, he, there was never a version of Hodor where he was normal. It has always happened. Anything Bran goes into the past to do is something a future version of himself has already done. Like when Ned turns his head to look at the Winterfell tree. That has always happened. Hodor has always had his mind destroyed. Uh, yeah, a good call, Guilty Undertaker. Twelve Monkeys or Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, yeah, there's. it's used a lot in fiction. It's a way of saying that you can go into the past, you can change things, but 
you can't change things, kind of. It makes sense with Blood Raven's comment that the ink is already dry. He knows you can't, that his powers let him go into the past and change things, but they've already been done. Like, you can imagine that at some point, Blood Raven went into the past and tried to defeat Bittersteel or tried to make sure he and she are Sea Star, um, like, ended up married or something like that, and began to realize that he was essentially making the future happen by doing it. The, the, the ink is dry. Brand, yeah, causality is preserved essentially so everything brand will do in the future he will do if that makes any sense it, it, it kind of hurts your head but hodor is the example hodor is the big example it means that there's a very possible a very likely future where Bran has to go back in time and make things happen that he hates, but because he's aware that they happen, he has to go do them. He essentially has to play his role in the future. In the same way that he had to go back in time and break Hodor's mind, he may have to do other things like that, and that may be what he's being prepared for. Um, <laughs> question from uh, Jess. Question though, just because the past is already written, does that mean the future is too, or is that the key to the time loop? It's... That it essentially means that he tries to explain this through Blood Raven at one point when he talks about how time is not a river, but the trees are essentially like in all times at the same moment where the past and the present and the future are all basically the same thing. They all happen at the same time. So this is why it's complicated and I can see why Dan and Dave cut it because it's hard to understand. Um, okay. Let me give us another shot. Okay. So let's say if it was a back to the future style time travel, right? Bran goes back in time and he would have grown up knowing a Walder that is his normal self, the intelligent, able to speak, normal member of the Winterfell garrison, right? But if this was a back to the future style time travel, Bran would have gone back in time and messed with Hodor's brain and created an alternate version but he can remember the version where Hodor was Walder and there was never a Hodor, but now he has them both in his head. George is doing the other version, where as far as anyone in the timeline is concerned, there never, there's no alternate history. There's only the one history. It just so happens that instead of traveling in a straight line, it loops back on itself. Yeah, uh, Looper plays with this too. It just it just helps if you think about it that way. They call it a pretzel because the time is, if you like, if you walk Doctor Who, a big ball of wibbly wobbly timey whiny. It means instead of a straight line, there are loops backwards in time, but they've always existed. It's just that nobody knew it. So Bran will have to go through all those loops now that he's aware they are real. <sighs> How did I do? Is that a good explanation? Because it's hard to understand. And there's a reason because time travels fictional. And it's God help us. Well, maybe it's fictional. Who knows? Maybe time travelers have already happened in our real world and we just would never know because nothing changes. But it's definitely a, um, yeah, Lady Leaf talks about the bootstrap paradox. There is a bootstrap paradox. So if Hodor was always made by Bran and Bran doesn't remember it happening, then who did it for the first time? It's, um, yeah, which when <laughs> who actually broke Hodor because as far as young Bran is concerned it already happened to him there is a bootstrap problem but that's why it's fiction and George loves talking about it um this also tells us if we're talking about magical mechanics that skin changing is a thing you can do across time so if we think back to what happened Bran was in the past skin changing Hodor in the future so that means that a skin changer at any point in their personal timeline if they're connected to somebody can go back and mess with them. So if a skin changer 10,000 years in the future um, makes a connection with someone 10,000 years in the past, they can control them from that point. Um, 
it may the, the time limit may be strange because you have to make the connection but this also means that Bran could control Summer when he presumably um, he could go back in time and skin change into Summer when he first met him. He could do this while Summer was just a puppy. It can also go the other way. So this establishes for George a much more complicated idea of what the Weirwoods and the Children of the Forest are able to do. If there if there exists a skin changing connection with a being in the past and the future, then the skin changer can affect them at any point in their timeline. Uh, Barris really, so you can't change anything. Correct. The changes have already happened. Not, there's the ink is dry. Guilty Undertaker says, "Yes." Now you're thinking. Now you're thinking with gasoline. Did Brand's skin change somewhere? Just have him to save him from the cat's paw. He may have. It's very possible he could have. He, the establishment of Hodor allows this for Brant. Anything he has a skin changing connection to, he can affect them from any point in his life. So it opens up a lot of possibilities about the weird things that the um, the direwolves do, like when they seem more human than human, where they seem like they're intelligent, where they seem like, a, like they have an intelligence far beyond what wolves should have. Well, maybe they do. Maybe there's a skin changer at some point in the future or the past messing with them. Um, can he skin change the mama direwolf? I don't know because he doesn't have, he never knew the mama direwolf in his lifetime, but George is opening the possibility. It's a weird possibility. Thanks, George. Um, so this also opens up the possibility that Bran in the far future, because who knows how long he's going to live, can go back and mess with things as much as he wants. Like, what if Bran effectually lives forever? Like, what can he do with these powers? How far can they go? Only George really knows. Again, the, the show doesn't really go into it much, but that's just kind of how it goes. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand the exact mechanic that's going on here. George will probably explain it better. Um, some kind of feedback or the shock of feeling death while not and then living through it maybe destroyed his mind in some way. Um, I don't know. We're, we'll find out from George's version. He's going to do basically the same thing but worse so get ready for that that'll be fun um so one thing that came up is um eric foreg on patreon asked a question and this is something that comes up quite a bit george had this is not the first time george has written about time travel he has written about time travel before and the mechanics that he uses differ um this is one of those moments where sometimes you can look back at george's older works and see mechanics like skin changing and they are pretty much unchanged from story to story but his his conception and the effects of time travel do change so um, one of the biggest ones is the story Under Siege. Uh, this is a story about that he wrote initially about some characters at a fortress, I think in um, somewhere in Scandinavia during World War One or two. And it's essentially a like a military drama of um, are they going to surrender the fortress to the invaders or something like that. Under Siege is a rewritten version of that story where the main character from the original is being controlled from the far future by um, essentially a psychic time traveler that sounds a lot like Bran that's that are called geeks and essentially what their mission is is they go back in time and they try to control people by human skin changing basically and get them to do diff things differently than they did before in order to change the future um it doesn't work and the explanation seems to be much the same as happens in a song of ice and a fire where the commander essentially bemoans at one point it's like we've been sending these geeks back in time for like years and nothing ever changes why isn't anything changing well it's the same thing that happened that's i think that's happening in a song of ice and fire where essentially in under siege it's a it's a loop or a pretzel version of time travel where 
the geeks always went back in time. They always did what they did. So the future is preserved. Um, that seems to be the most direct correlation. It's a really weird story, but um, it features very heavily human skin changing and time travel. Oh, see you later, Guilty Undertaker. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Uh, Shockweed says, Is Bloodraven mentioning his own attempts to change to past a show-only thing? Do he say that in the books? He said it in the books. Um, he says it, there's a different way of phrasing it, but he essentially tells him that, uh, he tells Bran that he has tried to go back into the past and do things, and it didn't work. Um, so, under siege is like that. Unsound variations, though. This is, if you've never seen it, if you've never read it, this is George's time travel chess story. Um... If you guys don't realize, if you guys don't know this, that George is a chess junkie. And when he was in college and afterwards, um, he was a very serious chess player and he enjoyed um, running tournaments and being on a team. And he wrote Unsound Variations. Essentially, it's, it's a tough one to explain, but somebody invented a time travel device. And it's, it's a member of this chess team and he goes back in time. <sighs> God, it's complicated to explain. Essentially, this guy is getting revenge on his quote unquote friends for losing a tournament when they were in college. Um, and he's using this machine to do it. And so it's it's kind of like um, Groundhog Day, where this guy is getting his revenge by playing out the this revenge plot like one moment at a time slowly destroying the lives of his friends but it's implied that it's a multiple universe version because the guy himself the guy getting the revenge can remember the past versions where different events happened that doesn't happen in in under siege it doesn't happen in the song of ice and fire um as far as the antagonist is concerned in, in unsound variations um he is changing the past but there's this like multiple universe is being created so that's a very different version of time travel that george has also written about that's closer to back to the future in terms of what's going on um yeah chess yeah, like i said Loomis reina chess features very heavily in unsound variations and then another version of um time travel happens kind of in the armageddon rag one of his other novels where there's a line um where essentially like the power of music or something like that can allow you to change the past. And one character says to another, like, well, I can't change it. It already happened. He says, why not go back in time, change it however you feel like it. So uh, to answer Eric's question, is there a way to look at George's past works and and say exactly what he's doing with the time travel through Hodor? Maybe. My guess is that it's closest to Under Siege. That's the one that seems to line up the best with the show version of Hold the Door, which George says he's going to recreate, essentially. Unsound variations, it doesn't sound like he's doing that one. Armageddon Rag introduces the idea of changing the past, um, which again sounds more like the unsound variations version. So I, I think if you want to understand it better, Go read Under Siege. He actually explains it. Um, so that's uh, Hold the Door is I can see why Dan and Dave called it a holy shit moment. It is a game changer of a moment of understanding what the story is about, what Bran is doing, where he's going in the future, who Hodor is, how you're supposed to feel about that, how you should how you should think about the relationship between Bran and Hodor and where Bran like really, where is Bran going? Does he have a choice in it? And based 
on hold the door it doesn't seem like he does it seems like i, I don't know it's is it his i don't ah, if you can't change the past and you know the future and you can't change it but you have no choice is it your fault so like if you think about it in terms of i i, I understand people don't think that a season eight version of danny's gonna happen or that they think it's gonna be very different but let's just say that what happens there happens in the books and you have this and we understand that Bran cannot change the past and also cannot change the future, but he's aware of what's going to happen. Is it his fault that he has to essentially walk the motions in order to push history into a place where Danny does what she does and burn down King's Landing and John kills her and et cetera, et cetera? Is he actually at fault or is he just, is there any, yeah, is there any free will? Does he have a choice in this? Um, the only thing that makes me wonder about that is that George has made it so that Bran is relatively unaware of what he can and cannot do. So be, much in the same way that he skin changes Hodor and breaks him by because he doesn't know it's wrong. Maybe he'll do something different with the timeline and try and change things, but maybe by trying to change them, he makes them happen. Um, I don't know. It's it's such a high fantasy concept and it's hard to wrap your brain around. But I think it's um, I think that's one of those deep messages that kind of got lost in the show version that I think George is really going to play with when you're thinking about Bran and Bloodraven, the children of the forest and kind of the flow of where the story is going. It's the idea that knowing the future means it will happen. And how do you deal with that as a person that is in that situation? Like, he shields characters like Melisandre from it because she interprets it wrong. But what if you absolutely know the future? What if you absolutely know what's going to happen? Um, that's a hard question. And I think it adds a lot of a lot of depth to the end of A Song of Ice and Fire and to his story that honestly is kind of missing from the show version because they don't like magic. And they didn't like they were told to include this. So they did. But it doesn't really seem like doesn't really seem like they grasped it. Yeah, it's kind of a physics question. Curtis Franks. Um, is there any free will? in the world at all i don't know um so we got about uh, let me check hey pal one second oh what do you know i just uh super chat here from kck aka reflective rambling um donating 15 dollars uh thank you so much cassie or reflective rambling i really appreciate it um very generous of you so we've got about 10-ish minutes left so anything you guys want to talk about um anything about this anything i didn't cover any questions i missed while i was talking throw them in the chat let's uh Let's make the most of these last 10 minutes. Um, Renly's Peach had a good question. Um, uh, okay. Uh, what do you think about Hodor's door? His you shall not pass moment uh, being the weird face door at the night fort. Um, in case you didn't get this the first time. So there is a real question about what door Hodor is going to hold, basically. Um, there's, in it, I think there's a, a door that they found in the books, but there's obviously also the, um, the weird gate, AKA the black gate underneath the night fort. Um, it would make a lot more sense if that's the door he's holding since that's the, like going through the, it doesn't really make sense in the show what happened because so Hodor stands against the door. He prevents them from coming out. Mira is very slowly dragging Bran away. And then essentially they just get away. And that's kind of it. Um, for no real explanation, they make it all the way back beyond the wall. And it's unclear why the Whites did not follow them. If the door that they're going through that Hodor is holding is the Black Gate, that would make a lot more sense um, because presumably the others and the white and the Whites can't get through it. So yeah, doing that would um, 
make a lot more sense logically for the story rather than just having them kind of disappear in the wilderness and the others giving up the chase. Um, but this also connects with, uh, like I talked about with Summerhall, that maybe Duncan the Tall um, using his boot to hold a door open or something like that. That could be in Hodor's future if he's actually his descendant. Um, is he a weird face? Um, don't really know. I speculated in the past that the face of the Winterfell heart tree may be Bran the Builder. Who knows who the Night Fort's face is? It'd be interesting if it was like the Night King or like the First King, the Barrow White guy. I'm not really sure. Uh, Zach Berger says, How does Bran becoming a monster that essentially has no concept of value of human life affect the possibility that Bran ends up as the king? Well, so it essentially creates a situation where he may embrace the idea that there's no sacrifice too big for his destiny. A very dangerous logic that Blood Raven is one that um champion in his time as Hand of the King that uh, you know might makes right that any sacrifice that any horrible action he makes is worth it for his if you want to I mean for the Dune version of Bran's golden path if his future is essentially to live forever as the monarch that saves the world through his magical powers then well maybe King's Landing is worth burning maybe Daenerys and Jon and the rest of his siblings are worth sacrificing for that future. Um, I, it, especially if he thinks he has no choice in it, if he just has to do it. And that's something I w I'm really looking forward to seeing from George that the show didn't get, really get into. What is Bran's POV on this as it's happening? He doesn't, he, the way Isaac played him is the way he had to, where he kept his cards close to his chest. But obviously he has an internal thought process about it. What does he think about it? I would love to know that. Um, oh, uh, Daisy Co let me see this. Kowal Sikowski uh, was having problems with the stream. Sorry about that. Um, that's usually on YouTube's end. I don't have a lot to do with that. Just refresh when it happens. Um, uh, Jay Moray says, could prophecies be a product of this? Absolutely. Blood Raven has the ability to send dreams to Bran and to invade his mind. We don't even know, we don't know when that's happening from. As established by Hodor, you could do it from any point. So, are the prophecies that characters are receiving being sent from Bran in the future? or somebody in the past in order to make a particular future happen that they know has to happen could very well be. Um, I don't like the super conspiracy versions of these because I think it removes agency and interesting choices from characters if they're essentially just puppets being, or as George is like loves talking about chess, if they're essentially just pieces that Bran is moving around the board, then I find that less interesting as a story path, but it's certainly something that's on the table. I don't think you can ignore that possibility. <clears throat> uh, Crown says, say Bran sees the long night being inevitable, but which one long night? One coming the next year is a hundred years, a million. Uh, so this gets to the question of if the children have this ability, um, was there any choice in what they did? So it's hard to square their actions with these abilities. So the creation of the others, did they do it knowing it would like, why would they create this knowing it would become what it is like? Why would they make their greatest enemies knowing it would eventually backfire on them? And it may be that much like other characters um, or other magical beings, they have this idea that they can change the future. For instance, the Undying believe that Daenerys is essentially going to stay with them forever, that they're going to feast on whatever she is, her magical future or whatever, and essentially avert the future. They must have seen their own future where they saw themselves being killed by Drogon and they thought they laid a perfect trap to get her. So it may be something along those lines um, where it's ignorance that creates the long night and the future 
premature one. But Bran is in a position where he might see like the, the very, very, very long term in a way that nobody else has. Uh, Curtis Frank says, is Hodor the culmination of all this time travel skin changing stuff or will there be other possibly bigger impacts? I think Hodor is a proof of concept. I think George is going to take this and do much more with it. Um, that will not be the end of Bran's interactions with time travel, his interactions with skin changing, human skin changing, and his understanding of his place in the future, the past, and the present. This is just the beginning for him. Um, let me scroll up. A desperate last act, but one they must have known would backfire eventually, which means they must have had some conception that maybe they could avoid it. Um, <coughs> Sorry, I should have muted that. Sorry, sorry. I coughed right into it. Oh, wait, didn't... I think I got another one on Patreon. I think I got another question I didn't get to. Um, I just want to make sure I do. Um, oh, I already got to that one. Uh, Lady Leaves asked, what did you think the repercussions of Bran warging Hodor? I think they're going to be varied and wide-ranging. It's going to be... Uh, Bran thinks his third eye is open. It's not even open yet. Once he... Once Hold the Door happens and he understands his role in Hodor's life, that's going to be drastic. <laughs> Magic is my yeah, might make right is also the Targaryen and the Valyrian motto. That's all their whole thing. Um, Lady Leaf Underhill says, I thought a recent thing, uh, it's more fighting in a passage while controlled by Bran rather than literal holding the door. Yes, that's what George clarified in his interview with James Hibbard that he's going to have Hodor use the sword and that he's essentially going to not die holding a door literally, but holding a passage, um, kind of like the 300 sort of thing. Um, tattered print still in the works. Yes, it is. Um, I'm that one's a, that one's been hard because I'm not as convinced by my answer as I was about Bran and Sandor. Um, maybe I have a higher threshold of theories than I used to, but um, the Bran one I think is locked in. I'm confident about the Sandor one. Tattered Prince has been, I don't know, I'm gonna make it. It's, I'm writing it. It's, I've um, I've recorded the five year gap thing. I'm gonna make both the videos, they're gonna come out. I'm gonna try and do it in the next week or so. But I don't know. It's it's a lot more tinfoily than I than I hoped going into it. It's a it's a hard nut to crack. Um, that was from Shockweed. A for effort. A I I tried. I'm not that good at names. Um, super spreader. I'm not a super spreader. Um, let's see here. Uh, Jess Bridvex says, does this mean the Blood Raven is more powerful than Night King? Um. It, it's uh, I'm not sure it has to do with power so that like do you mean like magical power or control over the over few order the future because the future itself apparently is like like George describes it a river that cannot be stopped so blood raven in a way really has no control over it and neither does the night king it may be that blood raven and brand the future just have a better understanding of that like the others seem to be wanting to change a fundamental part of the world like they want to bring about the long night would kill everything and freeze everything in place which would essentially be an end of um all right what's the right word it's a physics term it's um entropy they want to end entropy or the um the fall of order into disorder they may not understand or may not accept that that's impossible here i am talking about um oh i'm coughing yeah sorry um it's that my voice hurts my um I need to hang on, let me drink some more. <clears throat> yeah, entropy. Yep. I knew the word, but it's um it's hard to pull it up right then. Um if Hodor is holding the black gate, but the whites can't get through regardless, why would you have to hold the door? Well, they have to get to it. Um they have to get to the passage, they have to get into it, and then somebody has to open it for them. So there's a, there could be definitely be a situation where Hodor is put in a situation where he has to be the last line of defense, sort of like uh, Donald Noy was against the um the giants 
um, in the battle for the wall, basically. It may be a similar sort of situation. Uh, let's take a couple more. We're a little bit over. Um, what the fuck is up with the Blackgate? I'm going to do a video about that in the future. I have a really interesting idea about it that I haven't written yet, but I think makes sense. Um, and I think it works with all the magic and weirdness. And I really like it, but I haven't gotten to it yet. That'll be coming out. Um, uh, Corey Freight, so you have to recite the vows to open it. Yeah, kind of. Um, that's the way we see it in the future, but it's unclear. Maybe the Three-Eyed Raven or whoever's in control of the Weirwood Net can open it and it will. Maybe it's just a password for them to do it themselves. Um, yes, and good point by Curtis Franks. We don't know what you have to do to get through the other. I assume it's the same on both sides. You have to say the vows. But like I said, like, is it a machine where if you say it, it opens? Or is there somebody like a green seer listening to the black gate? And essentially, when they hear the phrase, they open it themselves. But they can choose to open it whenever they feel like it. <clears throat> What was George's inspiration for the Black Gate? Um, I've heard it's from other stories that I have not read, but I've, I remember reading Reddit threads about it where people brought up um, in other stories a giant wooden talking face or something like that. I mean, I know it's in Lord of the Rings. Old Man Willow is essentially um, like that, like a or like the ants. The ants are basically like if you want to think about it, a way of considering the Black Gate is think about it of like a giant ant was buried up to its head and all it can do is move its mouth that kind of thing that could be what he's doing um he's also introduced the idea of ig the demon tree um which is essentially yggdrasil from norse mythology so something like that could be it there's probably a lot of inspirations that's the thing about george is it's usually not just one thing it's he tends to pull a lot of ideas from his past that he likes and just kind of patchwork them together. <clears throat> yes, somebody mentioned Tom Bombadillo. Oh my God, Tom B B Bombadillo. By the way, if you guys go check out Bookshelf Studs Twitter, that post is up to like 4,500 likes or something like that. People love the Tom Bombadillo memes. Um, all right, so let's do one more and then I'm probably, I gotta, I have to be up in the morning for work, so, and my throat hurts. <laughs> so <laughs> I should probably get going before I lose my voice. Uh, you guys are talking about um, the vows themselves. Yes, there is a there is a future version of um, there's two versions of the Nightwatch vows. There's the original and then there's the parts where they added on which seem to be added on after the Night King or after certain terrible actions from Night's Watch brothers. Um, parsing them apart, I think, is something theorists have done before and figuring out exactly which parts go where. But yeah, it is interesting that there was an idea that the Night's Watch used to allow the men of it to have children. They used to be able to get married. Um, they used to maybe used to be able to hold titles. Like for instance, in the in when we hear about a lot of the Night's Watch Lord Commanders and people and like their the monsters and stuff like that, it seems like we hear about like Night's Watch forts battling each other. It may have been that like each region had its own castle on the wall so like each kingdom had its own one like maybe there was a dornish castle maybe there was a northern castle essentially the um the black gate i mean the uh, night fort maybe there was a western lands where because there used to be so many people in the night's watch it would make sense that they would probably congregate with their friends so there very well could have been a, an early version of the night's watch where it was not a no sex no wives no titles thing yeah i get that yeah I think that's right, Corey Freight, that the whole Knight's King thing and probably other um, Knight's King, I mean, and a Knight's Watch villains made new rules come about. That's kind of how it goes. All right, I think that's it for tonight. Um, I really appreciate you guys um, coming out and hanging out at this uh, unusual hour. Um, going back to a normal time next week, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, I do have a future guest lined up for November. Someone very fishy. That'll be a fun one. 
Uh, I don't know next Saturday's topic yet. Um, remember, also on Tuesdays, I play Crusader Kings 3. Hopefully, we'll be getting the Game of Thrones mod sooner rather than later, although I am really enjoying it. Um, and look for the five-year gap and the Who is the Tattered Prince videos coming out soon. So, Also, thank you to all my patrons um, and those of you that donated. Um, really appreciate it. Times are tough. Um, very generous. All this, everything you guys give. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little choked up. Uh, slam the like button, subscribe, leave comments. Um, that's all you ever really need to do to make me happy. You don't have to give me money, but I appreciate it when you do. So yeah, have a good night, everybody.